0: The Dispatch Podcast, the official podcast of the Battle of Franklin Trust. It's your host, Joseph Ricky, alongside David Stumfel. David Stumfel is one of our historical interpreters here, and you find him giving house tours at all three locations, as well as some of our specialty tours, the Slavery and the Enslaved Tour, as well as one of our newest specialty tours, which is the Reconstruction Tour, appropriately enough, is the topic for discussion today. David, welcome to The Dispatch. Thanks for having me. Well, I mean... It's not that there was a great exclusive list that we could only pick certain uh, historians. We wanted to get everybody uh, involved. That's
1: all right. I feel pretty comfortable uh, being your last option and only option.
0: Oh, it is a team effort at the end of the day. So Certainly. Glad to have you. Uh, because the things that you know about Reconstruction, I-, I will probably never be able to have the same grasp. I think you'll forget more about it than, than I will ever know. But I-, I think what's interesting to talk about Reconstruction is this is a period in history that I think people are either, I think you've said it best, people don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Or they don't want to know it because Reconstruction has a tendency to be well, sort of both depressing, mm-hmm. uplifting, and then depressing again. Uh, and it leaves you kind of wondering what, every, what all really mattered, what happened at the end of the war. So I would, I would definitely say that you're absolutely
1: correct. Uh, a big part of why Reconstruction, I think, has been so understudied over the years. It's not only just due to the complexity of some of the issues, but also because so much of what happened is just not neat and clean. There's Mm -hmm. no easy answer to some of these issues or problems. And uh, ultimately, that allowed for a lot of myths to come into this, Uh, probably Mm -hmm. the most well-known being some of the lost cause mythology. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that's really colored a lot of what people maybe know today. Mm -hmm. So it's not only that we have to help kind of educate people on this, but we have to kind of change people's minds at the same time. About what them...
0: Reconstruction even was e- to Exactly, begin with. Because there's, there's one movement that says it was a forcible military occupation, and then the other part of it is this sort of hopeless, hapless, bureaucratic state just fumbles its way through the 1860s all the way Absolutely. to 1877, when in actuality there are some great triumphs that are made, and I think the first of which is pretty evident is the 13th amendment Mm -hmm. that abolishes slavery. And then you've got the 14th amendment for uh, equal protections and citizenship. And then the 15th amendment for uh, African-American male suffrage. And those are all advances in reconstruction. So how do we get there from, you know, April of 1865 and through the passing of the 15th amendment? Well, you know, there's a loaded question. That's,
1: that's a big, big order right there. But what I will say is that uh, really in the grand scheme of things, When we look at the passage of the reconstruction uh, amendments, uh, we have to keep in mind that these are all happening one by one in succession because ultimately the Republican Party keeps kind of moving the goalposts because Mm -hmm. to their credit, they were a party founded to end slavery. And they ended slavery. Yeah. So they have to keep finding new goals, which ultimately does then shift the political landscape so much.
0: And it's not even just a political goal. There's also the practical and the pragmatic behind it is that now there are 3.9 million free people living in the country, Mm -hmm. but they have no agency.
1: It's it's an ethical question as well. You have all these people who are motivated not just by uh, their political future, but also just... Looking at their own morality and wondering, okay, what was the next step really supposed Mm -hmm. to be? You can't just free almost 4 million people and then say, okay, bye, have fun.
0: Figure it out. Yep. Yeah. And that doesn't work naturally. Naturally. And so the natural progression then is to include these people in citizenship. So you get the 14th Amendment.
1: Get these people involved in the government. Get them involved in society, not just at the lowest level, but at every level. And of course, just even suggesting that idea to some people was enough to really create not just pushback, blowback, mm. but violence. All-out violence. Absolute violence. And uh, domestic terror is really the word I would stress, We, mm. uh, the, the phrase we should really use there. Uh, so much of what happened in the Reconstruction era and after even has been kind of just chalked up to, oh, we're not going to address this, we're not going to... Uh, Talk about it because it's not really fun. It's not a good part of history. Mm -hmm. But it happened in pretty much every part of the country Mm -hmm. and still continues in some ways. But at the same time, uh, so much of that era is going to be about those stories, the violence and the reactions
0: to it. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the story is that we have the ability to tell here is not only do we talk about the war, but we talk about Reconstruction on almost every single tour at least in some way Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the big points that you know i tend to emphasize with my groups is that there is you know there's the great progress we've talked about the 13th 14th and 15th amendments those are great progress towards reconstruction but we've just talked about the blowback the the domestic terror if you would 1867 the kukuk's clan is born Mm -hmm. and they're not formed as a social club that gets together despite what some would tell you they're formed to fight against the efforts of reconstruction
1: mm-hmm. and uh, they are not the only ones you've got oh, no there's copycats that come after that. absolutely you've got the red shirts you've got the mm-hmm. white league you've got the knights of the white camellia uh, mm-hmm. so there's a whole multitude of organizations formed and we usually just kind of lump these together with the clan it's all ku klux it's exactly. not just
0: you know these individual groups that emerge and They emerge mostly because in 1868, after the fumbling, stumbling (laughs) presidency of Andrew Johnson, Ulysses S. Grant, the former general in chief of the army, is elected president of the United States. (laughs) And I, I think we were talking before the show, it's that his election almost senses the fact that he had to save the Union once, and now he's going to have to try and save it again. Because... 68 is such a tumultuous year already. Mm -hmm. You know, we're coming off of the Johnson impeachment, and it is just an absolute nightmare. And then Grant enters office.
1: And Ulysses Grant, I think, is uh, one of those figures who certainly has seen a little bit of a rebound as of late, Mm -hmm. at least as far as uh, popularity goes. And I think that a lot of that does come from the fact that we are now really giving him more credit for what he did during Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. Uh, so much of the mythology, again, I think does tend to focus on uh, some of the later corruption scandals of that era, none of which really implicated Grant, but certainly people around him. Right. Uh, but then we kind of underplayed for so long his successes in dealing with these terror organizations. Mm-hmm. Many of them were forced underground by 1872.
0: Mm-hmm. And those are the enforcement acts, the first, second, and third enforcement acts. Uh, and I think, of course, we remember the third one as sort of like the encapsulation of all yes. of them. Uh, like it
1: kind of get lumped together usually. But
0: it's what drives the, at least the organized public movement underground, at least for the time being.
1: For the time being. Uh, there's something to be said that, again, part of the reason why uh, some of this ends up maybe not working in the long run is because a lot of those groups then became legitimized. A lot of their mm-hmm. leaders became elected officials yeah. probably the best known example is wade hampton from south carolina mm-hmm. uh he was you know red shirts leader and then he is a senator from south carolina after george the gordon right here in tennessee
0: mm-hmm. um yeah the, the list could go on and on and on um there's this whole movement is the sort of reunification movement after the war uh, and this really picks up in the 1870s, so a little bit post-Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. But that's where you start to see a lot of former Confederates end up back in seats of power. You start to see state senators elected basically running on the, – they're, they're dressed up in their old Confederate uniforms giving stump speeches on campaigns. So that is – is that how we just say, oh, well, Reconstruction failed because – these men made it back into office and the Ku Klux Klan was revived. Certainly
1: uh, a big part of that is also going to be kind of caught up into a lot of the other issues, which is to say many of those uh, same politicians we're talking about then later were going to be people who were replacing the first African-American politicians in American history. These are going to be some of the people who were elected to high office in both chambers of Congress, uh, at every level of state government as well. Uh, Some of my favorites are going to be, you know, guys like uh, Hiram Revels. uh, And also, of course, I love talking about Pinchback, uh, Pinchney Pinchback of Mm -hmm. Louisiana, just because he's got kind of a fascinating story. Mm -hmm. Governor for one month. And then the next uh, black American to be governor would be in Virginia in the 1970s, almost 100 years later. Yeah.
0: Then if we were going to look at just those pivotal years then from 67 to 77, we've talked mostly about the amendments. We have talked mostly about the enforcement acts, but what's happening uh, sort of at the more local level, and because there's also the movement for the Freedmen's Bureau to mm-hmm. be established. What is the Freedmen's Bureau?
1: Well, the Freedmen's Bureau is really uh, something that Lincoln had created right before he died uh, because he was dealing with a massive refugee crisis, effectively. Mm-hmm. You had... Uh, hundreds of thousands, if not quite millions of people who were trying to uh, escape slavery, try to run up into the northern states Mm -hmm. and uh, really try to make a new life for themselves. And of course, there was not necessarily the infrastructure in place to uh, help these people or to have them really live comfortably. So the Freedmen's Bureau ends up really creating a series of schools, banks, churches, churches, uh, really just entire towns uh, mm-hmm. where these newly freed individuals could try to rebuild their lives. And actually many of those communities are still around today. A lot of the historically black universities were built mm-hmm. in these areas. Uh, I mean, you can look up at Nashville. We've got a pretty susta- substantial section uh, purely over that way as well. Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the Freedmen's Bureau offices, of course, was down at Ripavilla in Spring Hill, the home of Nat Shares after the war. And then also in the right behind uh, the house, there's actually, and it was moved from, if I'm not mistaken, from Greensmill Road, uh, there's a Freedmen's Bureau school that still stands that was moved over to Ripavilla's property. So that is part of the sort of the story that can be rolled into uh, the story told there as well. Mm-hmm. And here in in just these last maybe 10 minutes that we'll be talking, if there are maybe three myths about Reconstruction, what are they?
1: Well, the first one I always like to address is uh, something I think pretty much every person has probably caught themselves saying at some point, which is, oh, if only Lincoln had lived, if only Mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln had survived. And, Mm -hmm. of course, I'll say that he was probably going to have been Able to handle these issues better than Andrew Johnson,
0: mm-hmm.
1: probably would have would have been better than uh, Ulysses Grant. But I think people like to think that Lincoln's death somehow means that we went off on this whole different tangent of mm-hmm. issues. When in reality, many of the things that we've been talking about here, Lincoln also probably would have had to have dealt with. Um, mm-hmm. I think people tend to try to mythologize the Reconstruction. Or rather, they tried to mythologize the radical Reconstruction as a reaction to someone like Grant going too far. Mm -hmm. But in reality, what we have to understand is that uh, these politicians were exactly that.
0: They're politicians. They're
1: politicians. So even the most radical of these individuals know they have to keep getting Mm reelected. So if they really just threw everything through Congress without any care whatsoever— there would be no longevity behind all of this. Yeah.
0: You could move the bar, but how long could you sustain the bar being held exactly. until you know until that Congress is out of office and a new Congress is sworn in? And it just doesn't work.
1: So one thing I'll say there is that actually someone who I'll, I'll say maybe deserves a little bit of credit for really helping Reconstruction to last as long as it did and really helps a lot of these laws to stay on the books, even though they were certainly weakened via Jim Crow after the war, mm-hmm. uh, after Reconstruction. Uh, one thing I'll say is Lyman Trumbull, uh, senator, mm-hmm. was a big part of the writing of the 13th, 14th, mm-hmm. and 15th Amendments. Uh, and his wording behind these is also a big part of why uh, they are going to be so broadly applicable still even today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 14th Amendment, I mean, still was used
0: we try most cases that go before the supreme court are tried under the 14th amendment or at least that's how they're tested anyways is with the 14th amendment
1: well i mean that's the thing that i mean the 14th amendment was originally written to deal with these issues during reconstruction but Mm -hmm. i mean it helped people uh during world war ii specifically dealing with japanese internment camps Mm -hmm. it's also uh the uh Amendment That actually helps us to get to the point of something like gay marriage as well. So Mm -hmm. regardless of your thoughts and feelings on these issues, Mm
0: -hmm. it's the 14th amendments broad and very, I I won't say vague because it means exactly what it says it means, Mm -hmm. but it is a broad amendment for that purpose so that it can be applied to anything.
1: And, And again, that was written by Lyman Trumbull a moderate Republican Mm -hmm. who was pretty much going to be working very closely with Lincoln during the war. Mm -hmm. So this idea that Lincoln somehow would have been against the radical Republicans is completely false. Uh, The other thing I like to always talk about is also that there's this mythology around the failure of Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, a big part of what really causes Reconstruction to fail is because we let it fail which mm-hmm. is to say we as a country kind of just moved on. lost interest. We we lost interest, but you know, I, I like to always give people a little bit of credit to the fact that a lot of Americans were dealing with the worst depression we've mm-hmm. ever had up to that point. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just that people got tired of the issue so
0: much as – There were other issues to be exactly. dealt with, and you, that's how can politicians and how can the government sustain a reconstruction effort when they have to also somehow maintain – the nation.
1: And that's the thing. It's like if you're a normal guy living in Pennsylvania, let's say you're a steel mill worker over in Pittsburgh, well, maybe you just got laid off. Maybe you don't have a job. You got four kids to feed. Your first thought and concern is not going to be race relations down in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And it's not because you're a bad person, it's just that you have other issues.
0: People care about what affects them in the moment.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately, that also means, though, in the grand scheme of things, Certain groups, particularly minority groups, were left basically just drifting out in the wind, which meant then these redeemers, as they call themselves, Mm -hmm. your Wade Hamptons, your Mm -hmm. uh, Gordons, could really find a way to empower themselves and people they supported and people like them. And Mm -hmm. that's how we end up kind of digging ourselves into this hole that we eventually try to still get out of Mm -hmm. via the uh, civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s, Mm -hmm. oftentimes called the second reconstruction. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be kind of addressing some of the biggest issues is that it was never going to be easy. It wouldn't have been easier with Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And we are the reasons why we're still dealing with this today. Mm -hmm. So this is one of those things that's kind of good to make sure we address.
0: Yeah. And it certainly helps to have A format like this where we can talk about it and there's not you know it's not a tour group it's we're having this conversation about reconstruction i think that makes maybe the topic seem a little bit more approachable is Mm -hmm. that it's not some unsolvable problem it's an event in history that happened and now we have to figure out first how to talk about it but as we're sort of moving into this period where we're starting to reconsider the american civil war and reconstruction and how we interpret it, and how we look at it, reconstruction has to be re-examined absolutely and and it has to be i would just say examined, don't even put the "re because I think for so long you know there are scholars out there that have devoted their entire life's work to understanding and writing and teaching about reconstruction, and yet those people very often are not given a very popular format. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's putting it lightly. And it it becomes, well, why would I read about Reconstruction and politics when I could just read about the war?
1: And, you know, that's, uh, I think, one of the best lines. I I, I forget exactly who said this. I want to say it was Eric Foner, uh, Mm -hmm. probably the uh, most authoritative voice on Reconstruction today. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you can meet someone who's studied everything possible to study about that four-year period, the Civil War. Mm Mm-hmm but they don't know anything about what led up to it or anything mm-hmm. that happened right after it. Yeah, And it's kind of amazing how you can meet these people who are so knowledgeable about the most obscure battles and the most...
0: They can tell you what size shoe Robert E. Lee wore, but they can't tell you when what the 13th Amendment actually entailed. Exactly. Yeah.
1: It's, it is kind of ludicrous to a certain degree.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but at the same time, I think most Americans, unfortunately, fall into this group of having uh, really understudied this time period. And and Mm -hmm. unfortunately, when it comes to the 1800s in general, I think most people, it's, they know the founding fathers, Andrew Jackson, Civil War. They know like the Wild West era, kinda because of movies. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they know the Spanish-American War because Teddy Roosevelt and San Juan Hill. But Mm -hmm. that's really it. Mm -hmm. And again, when we really break that down, that's not even half of the time Right. of the 1800s that's not even the entirety of the Victorian era which people I think forget this is that same era mm-hmm. uh, I have had it on tours before where people say well yeah but this got better than the Victorian era and I say
0: it is the, the Victorian, Victorian era. era that part hasn't changed exactly yeah. Yeah. Um, so in closing you mm-hmm. know what we normally like to do is we like to recommend a book and I think that you and I are both in agreement that probably the the best history on reconstruction is Eric Foner's reconstruction Absolutely,
1: yeah if you can pick up the entirety of his uh work on that that's great most likely you'd probably just want to get the shortened version
0: the abridged version and that's actually what we sell here uh at all three houses uh so you can get it at carter house carton and ripavilla you can also order it online uh at boft.org and just click the link for the shop it'll bring you to it and just scroll through and find reconstruction by eric foner that's our book recommendation david how else can people learn more about Reconstruction with the Battle of Franklin Trust?
1: Well, they should come in and actually take the Reconstruction tour. Uh,
0: Sounds like a great idea. I mean, I would love to
1: see everybody come in. Uh, and hey, if you uh, mention this podcast, uh, I don't know if I can get you anything, but I'll shake your hand. So.
0: <laughs> and, and thank you for listening. Right, <laughs> And of course, it is a thank you for listening for all of our listeners out there, your supporters. Uh, we want to thank you for taking time to listen to this episode, taking time Of course, maybe drop us a nice review uh, and recommend this podcast to your friends. You know, you're out there, you're driving around, they need something to listen to while they drive around. At any rate, uh, we want to thank you again for listening and for supporting the Battle of Franklin Trust by checking out the Dispatch, the official podcast of the Battle of Franklin Trust. Very soon we will have a donation link established in our descriptions of every episode. You'll be able to support us in that way as well. Until next time, we'll see you on the battlefield.